Thanks for joining us. I'm Alan Burke, a landscape architect here in the Puget Sound region, and you are listening to the Green Meridian Podcast. Welcome back to the Green Meridian Podcast. You know, I talk to scores of potential clients annually, and a question I'm often asked is, what does a plan cost? The answer, of course, depends on the complexity of the project, but it also depends upon how we manage and provide a number of moving parts. That's what I want to talk about here. The way that you relay this information can be the decisive factor in whether your potential client chooses to work with you And there may be a number of easy add-on services as a landscape designer that you're not offering. These can be items that can underscore the comprehensiveness of your design services and importantly, can bolster your income. The fact is in the landscape design trades, there is no real consistency in pricing. Perhaps there doesn't really need to be, I, I don't know, but I do think that there are certainly more methodical ways to market services than those I'm currently seeing. When I say that, I mean that designers are often charging clients based upon fee systems that don't allow the client to perform any real designer rate comparison, compare deliverables, or get a sense of what might be typical in the trade. Keep in mind that when I say the trade, I mean the single family residential design and design build market. When you mix in the discrepancies between what a solo garden designer might offer versus a design build company and or a landscape architect, the client's entire ability to seek some kind of industry standard begins to unravel. This raises a number of important questions for our typical client, a single family homeowner wanting a residential landscape design completed. First of all, what should a client look for in a design package? How do design packages differ typically? What are some common mistakes that designers are making when pricing services? What are some of the pitfalls of offering project management as part of your landscape design effort? How can designers diversify their offerings and streamline their design marketing? And God forbid, how can designers maximize income when offering design services? I've been telling clients for years to be both cautious and enthusiastic in their designer search. In fact, we may not be the best fit to work together for one reason or another. I know it's anecdotal, but I've been advising clients for years about a simple rule that I feel can part the clouds around their determination about fairness and equitability of their upcoming design investment, whether it's based upon a lump sum, an hourly rate, or a percentage of construction. This is to say to your client that in rare events should the design investment exceed 5% of the investment for the project. That's not to say that a design investment might never exceed that kind of ratio, especially if the work is relatively detailed on a project that is moderately a small investment. Think about a small deck that needs to be framed in order to be permitted, for example. At the same time, a very large project at a considerable investment in contrast, such as a large hydro-seeded lawn area over some acreage, might be a very simple design, and yet the ratio will be really out of proportion then. This is why we set minimums for what we try to do overall in order to make that determination. 
Telling the client this little rule of thumb in advance of discussing fees can also set expectations across the board. While this ratio is not how you're setting the design investment overall for the client, it is setting a baseline of equitability, part of your overall effort to be definitive about budget expectations. Hey, check out our episode, The Budget Boondoggle, for more on that. I know that some folks are pretty set in their ways, and there isn't much I can say here to change that, so be it. If it works for you, charge ahead. Trying to get some old pro to change their design packages like converting an old Camaro to electric. Why do it? But I do planning for part of my income, and unlike many of you, my team will also bid plans as supplied by others. It's not unusual to have a discussion with a client that has had a plan done by others and hear a litany of complaints about any number of issues that the original designer left smoldering. We always try to jujitsu the design back into the original designer's favor if we can, especially if the designer is part of our design partnership program. You can see more on that at classicnursery.com. We bring it back on track if we can through some careful discussion about how the original idea is evolving or pricing has unexpectedly gone up since the planned submittal date, but we can't always salvage a reputation. And in the case of some of our less scrupulous competitors, I'd rather not anyway, frankly. This is, I know, a controversial subject for many designers. There are many schools of thought on it and perhaps a number of orientations that certainly have merit. Personally, I believe there are a number of issues that arise around the initial discussion regarding design that can set the tone inadequately between the designer and the client. And this starts with the methodology that's used for the billing of the design. Let's start with the hourly rate. When you think of the hourly rate, it's important to consider how the hourly rate in my mind will translate into annual income. I don't think it's advisable in many cases for you to be parlaying a fee that would be indicative of you making more money than your client. Have you ever thought about it that way? You may have a client that's an attorney making over 400,000 a year. That's a case that might translate into $200 an hour in income for that person. If you come in as a designer doing their garden with that kind of a fee base and you're charging, let's say, $150 an hour, your client's going to do the math in their head and say you're a designer earning $300,000 a year. Hey, maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing. But again, this is based upon your typical client, not the dream job working on some celebrity's mansion. Again, a moderate hourly fee may or may not be your business model, but please understand that it does certainly set the tone for your design work overall. I know that this is simplistic, and it may be a topic that you don't necessarily agree with, but in my view, it's important to set yourself in a position in which the client feels that you are an equitable, fair, and valuable resource. Let's talk a bit about hourly rates. Most designers would agree that when they implement projects on an hourly rate, they really don't often charge for absolutely everything that they do. They might skip over on travel time. They might not charge for that extra printing that was done as the late part of the job. They may not charge the full price for the initial effort and consultation, thinking that the work's gonna remit more at a later date when the project actually goes into production. This is generally a mistake, and in part, I think it's a result of charging a high hourly rate that really cannot be justified fully. I think the elephant in the room around the hourly rate, bear with me here, it centers around the fact that designers want to feel like they are fully worthy in conjunction with the client and the design community. And in so doing, they want to charge a higher per hour fee to justify their existence as a professional. 
I think it's kind of natural. This kind of convoluted route to follow about a higher hourly rate may make you feel better overall in your general standings in comparison with your peers. But if you're not charging absolutely fully for your 40 hours or maybe your 60 hours of work in some cases, you're not really capturing the true margin of your profession. The natural desire for many designers is to set a high hourly rate. Hey, I get it. You think of yourself as a professional and perhaps you certainly are. This may not be a one size fits all situation, but I am an advocate for setting a moderately low hourly rate and then charging for a greater number of hours. I think this serves you in a number of different ways. Let's consider, for example, a $2,000 plan for a landscape design. It's based on a $200 an hour charge and in comparison at a $75 an hour charge. The $200 an hour person has worked for 10 hours to prepare the work. If a $75 an hour person has worked for almost 30 hours, think about the comparison. If you're a client, which person do you think is working harder? Maybe this is an extreme example, of course, but there is some merit in the discussion. Basically, I think a higher hourly rate just serves to make you feel self-important. What is your hourly rate? If you worked full-time, multiply it by 2,000. Did you earn that much last year? If you didn't, you're charging an inflated fee. Conversely, with a lower hourly rate, two things happen in your favor. First of all, you can stop selling your time short. Charge now for everything you do. Many designers don't. They don't charge for travel time adequately, and they don't charge for incidental time spent doing printing and other office tasks. You may find yourself in this position. If you're not charging for it, you might want to ask yourself why. Is it because you feel that you will be overcharging the client? As I said earlier, you might want to reconsider an artificially high hourly rate and instead consider that you charge for virtually everything that you're doing for the client. I think in many cases, designers are not doing this. They are feeling bad that their fees are going to be seen as much higher if they charge for things like incidental travel or printing or something of that nature. Build your business on something that allows you to actually charge what you are doing. Let's consider for a moment some other ways that you can expand and diversify your income around design planning and management. If you don't already, consider expanding your offerings. What other services of value can you provide the client that they might need? First, I would consider templated and easy to copy deliverables that you can offer to the client. Importantly, if you really care about these things, you should submit them in a digital format for approval. This will help you to get your approval faster. And because it's a click and send digital agreement, your client will likely more easily approve any kind of add-on options. Let's consider for a moment a design, for example, with options. We'll be talking about proposals and options in another episode, but for now, you can't minimize the impact of having an easy to approve button box or something of that nature, just needing initials for a client to approve. Items that have a significant value that can add on to your services. As a corollary to this, studies have shown that many people will not easily choose among options when presented with over seven items. So be sure to limit your options to a very finite list of things that you can offer. What I might suggest, if this is something that is of interest to you, is to prepare a longer list of overall options that you can provide with a floating price that you can insert for each client specifically. Then edit this list down to no more than seven items for each submittal, tailored to the client's specific needs. (music) 
I know that many landscape designers already in a professional capacity will have prepared a full complement of services that they have preset for their businesses. I want to expand upon a few items that you might consider here. This is by no means a complete or a fully comprehensive list, but some simple items that you can look at perhaps offering. In addition to your basic landscape plan or plans, you might provide, for example, expanded sheets, that is color grid plant palettes that you've preset and you can edit to fit the plans more specifically and then print out. Uh, you might have a set of preset details that you're altering and fitting together. You could also provide links and material sheets as a separate item in addition to your plans, and these might be charged separately. To be able to send your plans out to bid with one or more contractors can serve you in a number of ways. First of all, it streamlines the whole process for the client, and in turn, and maybe more importantly, helps to ingratiate you with the contractor community so that they are getting plans from you and they are in turn perhaps going to be referring you in the future. You can also provide, of course, contractor coordination. Now it's important not to call it supervision or management and you will wanna have very specific disclaimers around your liability for this type of thing. But you can help to coordinate getting the contractor in place or perhaps submitting and reviewing, say, a proposal or proposals. You can, of course, provide project management. This might be global management of the entire project for a percentage or a fixed fee, or it might be very specific task management around something like plant material or a hardscape alignment or a material uh, delivery or something in that nature. One interesting alternative is to provide wholesale nursery tours or fabricator visits or perhaps uh, appointments at suppliers and that type of thing where the client can have a little bit more hands-on understanding of how the materials are uh, available and submitted. This is something that you could certainly offer. And as I said prior, you can offer drop-in consultation services. Maybe it's a check on the hardscape or the plant placement. It might be lighting or irrigation review. You could also have your client submit their approval to the contract or uh, have it be predicated on a walkthrough in which you're present and you have to give an approval. So walkthrough and punch list services are something else that you can offer. Unless you're already a general contractor, supplying labor or materials or referring a contractor can be fraught with all kinds of problems. Consult your local trade organization for a contractor and consultant list that is reliable. The regional membership at APLD, for example, usually has a good quality contractor and consultant list to provide if you're a member. When recommending a contractor or referring them, you want to make sure that you are contractually not liable for whatever they are doing. You cannot guarantee their work, and that needs to be explicit in your agreement with the client. Unless you're subcontracting as a contractor yourself, you want to have careful disclaimers about this type of thing. As an aside, I would suggest you provide specific disclaimers on your plan effort as well. While we all want to think that we are supplying a tightly accurate construction plan, you may have a tolerance or accuracy accuracy mistake in there somewhere. Perhaps it's a low voltage light that's in the wrong location. Perhaps it's a badly placed boulder on a slope that rolls down the hill into somebody's bedroom. To be safe, plans can be submitted in a form that clearly notes that they are for concept only. And as such, they are to be the responsibility of the selected installation contractor. This can help you overall by limiting your responsibilities and liability during and after construction. 
Supplying materials of one kind or another can also become an add-on profit center for the smaller design firm. In this instance, the most common thing to do is to supply plant materials. You'll want to have a set markup over and above wholesale for these types of items, and you'll also want to have a specifically well-articulated warranty about the items, as well as criteria around substitution or availability issues should these problems arise. There are also specific licenses tied to this kind of effort, so make sure you are in alignment with that as well. When you're putting together your design package, it's important to think about a range of services that you could potentially offer. Charge for all that you do, and don't pigeonhole yourself into providing just plans. You should consider other things that you can provide, and you should think about these carefully. Do you provide pots, art, sculptural location services, guidance on furniture suppliers? Can you check regional availability for specimen trees? Do you know a natural gas installer that could be available for a very specific small fire pit installation? How about a small pool builder? Does your client want three bids on everything that's going in the ground? If you can provide that service, you'll be taking a big monkey off their back. The world of landscape design is varied and very exciting for some folks to take advantage of. All of the things that we can offer and your special talents that might lend themselves to more than just doing planning. Be specific and careful about your contracts and agreements. Streamline everything that you have in order to automate it and be hard-lined about your pricing. Folks will look at it They'll wait for you, and they will buy your services. See you next week.